Hi all, this is Shane Madden. And I'm Will Harwood. We're really excited to be back with season two of Off The Clock, the podcast brought to you by TBT Digital. TBT Digital is the full service, vertically integrated digital marketing group of TransPerfect, the $1 billion language, services, and technology solutions market leader. We're gonna to talk to some of the industry's thought leaders, movers, and decision makers to discuss all things digital throughout the course of the season. So let's get into it. Let's go. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for, for listening in today. This is Shane Madden from Off The Clock. Super excited that we've got Michael Stitch from Court Avenue on today's podcast. Michael comes to us with an illustrious career in the agency and marketing realm. Michael, thanks so much for, for being part of today's podcast. Thank you, Shane. So glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, happy to have you. So I'm, I'm excited for this one, notwithstanding the fact that we're working pretty closely with you on some marquee brands and customers here in, in the US. But why don't we start with, can you give us a bit of background as to who you are, your past life, your current life? Yeah, just tell us a little bit more about yourself. Thank you for asking. My name is Michael Stick. I lead up services for Court Avenue. My background is I was born and raised in Asia. My hometown is Hong Kong. I went to school in Boston at Tufts and MIT. My first half of my career was inside of uh, technology. So I, I worked for uh, technology companies and clients with Dell, Texas Instruments, and McKinsey and Company. I moved to Cincinnati about 15 years ago. Second half of my career has been on the agency side. Still very heavily focused within technology, really through a variety of waves of digital agencies, but uh, have served within digital strategy and leadership roles for a variety of clients across industries. The agencies have included Bridge Worldwide, which is today part of alternatively uh, Wonderman Thompson and Gray with WPP, as well as Rockfish and uh, uh, VML YNR. And uh, just about a year and a half ago, peeled out of WPP, leading the global Dell business for WPP to join Court Avenue. And we've really enjoyed making this thing into a rocket ship. It's, uh, it's fun to build a, a new kind of company within this environment. We've really been much accelerated by COVID, but also through the acceleration of all of these sort of transformation and acceleration changes that are happening within a lot of our companies and a lot of our clients. And, and it's it's just a great time to try to build something like this right now. Yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. Well, again, thanks for uh, coming on today and sharing your thoughts. And as I said, I'm pretty excited for this one. So I, I guess my first question for you, Michael, is as someone that has such a storied career in the agency marketing, digital marketing ecosystem, what would you say, you're now at Court Avenue, which you know, relatively boutique. What would you say the biggest difference between running a boutique agency as a CEO and being a senior executive at a big holding company like WPP in terms of customer value, in terms of internal kind of operations, all that stuff? The old adage of at larger organizations, you have all of the resources, but none of the speed and control. At smaller organizations, you have none of the resources, but all of the speed and control is true. But you know, beyond the obvious, I think it's especially important to be able to be fast moving and imaginative in this environment. There's just so much change happening right now with the rise of new technologies and with so many companies going through uh, such structural changes, so many industries becoming transformed that it's just a good time to be able to experiment rapidly and with some depth, with some uh, credibility, uh, you know, with some experience. I, I wouldn't necessarily want to wish this upon a, a less experienced play right now because there's there's a lot to bite off and, and, and go tackle. But for many of us that have more of an experience in uh, some of these spaces, it's a great time to be able to move quickly and to try to put new things into practice. So uh, th those are the, the, the biggest differences. Um, there's a lot of very well-run, well-managed operating networks out there. You know, we, we'd like to think that we're uh, building the next generation of that ourselves. So I guess against the context of being a CEO of Quartz Avenue, do you think 
the genesis of all of this digital transformation and the speed to market and just the the sheer amount of of change and how dynamic it is. Do you think the genesis of that has been COVID? No, uh, I think there's a rise of new technologies that COVID accelerated, but the machine learning and 5G and IoT, augmented reality and virtual reality, you know, blockchain technologies were all there before COVID. And these kinds of technologies coming on have manifested in different industries in different ways. But in terms of the core experiences that we are now focused on creating for our clients and their customers, these were conversations and capabilities that were emerging well before COVID. Got it. I got to give a shout out to, to Dan and, and Ben. Ben was obviously the person who's at Court Avenue as a senior executive over there. He, he was the one that introduced us. And so I have a great affinity and obviously a great loyalty to your agency and your company. So my next question is against the context of that being the case. So I've been in this industry for, what, 11 years, you know, run this vertical here at TransPerfect, which is, you know, a billion plus uh, revenue company. I've seen this shift happen in, in the industry probably four or five years ago where the big consultancy firms were vertically integrating. So we saw Droga5 getting acquired by uh, or merged or integrated into the Accenture business. And we, we see Deloitte spinning up Deloitte Digital. And we see, you know, the big consultancy firms establishing a foothold in the industry. What are your perspectives or what are your thoughts in terms of why consultancies are not slow to win, but I guess more reticent or they're just not as fast paced or as dynamic when working with significant marketing engagements and opportunities for clients versus say an agency like Quartz Avenue? Like what's What's the secret sauce? Why, 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 you know, why is that the case? Let me, let me start with client needs and then, and then sort of feedback my perspective of, of why that's the case, Shane. And by the way, I feel the same way. A lot of love for Dan and Ben. Love them. Uh, appreciate the longstanding relationship yeah. they have with you with TransPerfect and very honored to have that uh, carry over into this company as well. So thank you, Shane, for that. Clients, uh, especially the ones that we're serving, the CMOs, chief growth officers, chief client officers, et cetera, of our companies have bigger jobs and sort of broader remits than they have ever had in their career. So you spend enough time in this industry, you start to realize that, you know, sort of the tasks become harder, more, more strategic, more, more all encompassing across the organization. But also that these individuals that I just described, they want to work with their agencies. Yeah. Like their agencies are used to both planning and executing great experiences that drive real growth and impact for their uh, companies. And, and that works really well. So unless they have to, they prefer not to sort of provide, you know, budgets over to larger consultancies because of that very need. Now, you're absolutely right. There's been some really good moves from you know, a variety of consultancies to, to buy and partner with, with agencies. I, I will say when I came into this role, I assumed that the consultancy and agency overlap was going to be very crowded and one that there was not going to be a lot of space. Actually, very pleasantly surprised to see that the opposite is true, that there's a lot of companies trying to be that merger of an agency and consultancy, hmm. but none of them are doing it very well. The consultancies have bought agencies, but they've struggled to keep creative talent yeah. and they've struggled to integrate the agency processes into their traditional consulting services. The agencies have struggled to move into consulting services just by the like mind. They, they tend to want to protect their, their core businesses on both sides at the expense of properly merging and fostering the combination. And, and what we're finding then, and this is working well for Court Avenue, is just by starting with a reset button and saying, no, we're just going to construct something that both creates great experiences for your customers and creates great capabilities for your company from scratch in a way that we know how those are well connected 
and, and tied together such that we're able to provide services to, to both the, the customers and to the company. That's working really well for us. And what we didn't expect was how under manifested or under realized that value proposition is in the marketplace. We thought it was too crowded. It's actually not crowded at all. Mm -hmm. And that's because of the depth of the experience that we're able to provide coming together on it. Yeah, it's such an interesting point in that intersection. The marrying of one business operating model with another. I, I'm seeing it on the, you know, on the ground in the trenches too. It's 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 interesting. So I, we could talk about that all day. Um I have a, a, another pressing question. So given the changing world order, the unfortunate war in the Ukraine, I'm hearing this term a lot, stagflation. Right, so stagnation meets inflation. We've seen the Fed interest, you know, uh, or, you know, hike up interest rates, continued supply chain issues. It all spells, you know, worrisome times for for brands and companies as we're pending, we're answering a you know an imminent recession period. So, what are your thoughts on what and how do marketing priorities and practices change given the the, the forecast of what's coming down the pike? Gosh, I, I feel the same way, Shane. There's a lot of uncertainty. M my hope is that for those of us that have lived through economic corrections. Before, I, I probably can't speak to how to manage through World War III. Right. And I hope that we're not to that point. But yeah. what we can do is talk about sort of how do we think about economic softening and what are ways that we can manage through that. Obviously, uh, growth uh, falls way to profitability. The ability to think through, if you will, defensible products and services that work inside of an economic downturn both uh, on the client side as well as in terms of agency services are, are really important. But, you know, I, I've, I've been through both the dot-com bust and the, the economic correction of 2007-08. Through both of those, being on the right side of change and on the right side of history, not only, I think, inoculates a lot of firms through those corrections, but also really accelerates them. They just continue to invest into the dip. So what do we mean by that? We know that in the automotive space, that electric vehicles are on the right side of change, on the right side of history. We, we know that e-commerce is only going to grow and that as omnichannel e-commerce sort of capabilities flourish, that they also grow more sophisticated and more automated over time. That's also on the right side of history. Pick your industry there. We know that the digitization of healthcare is on the right side of history and that the ability to sort of unify data and create increasingly personalized experiences within healthcare, that combined uh, collaboration between healthcare providers and patients is a really rich territory that is only just getting started. And we're, you know, I, I think we're all pretty clear that the government's going to continue to spend. Right. One of four dollars printed in the last 20 months. Sure. So, so uh, you know, I, I think that's a, that's a, you know, the digitization of government and the, and the modernization of, of, of the government is also very rich territory. We're very thankful to have the relationships that we do with the, with the rapid sustainment office as a part of the Air Force. You know, there, I, I would say it's, it's about picking the right spaces and being really strategic around your mix inside of the downturn, such that you emerge on the other side of that in, in good shape to, to scale up into the future that's gonna go forward. You said a couple of things there that I just wanna unpack. So the first is healthcare. So my understanding is healthcare represents 18% of GDP in the US, which is trillions of dollars. So I think you mentioned personalization of healthcare and improving that UX and non-customer experience across the boards and getting Getting that strategy in place will will allow companies to be on the right side of history. Is is that what you mean? It's part of it. I think there's there's so much to be done within the health and wellness space. I could argue though we're we're seeing not only sort of this continued democratization of sort of a control and power uh, moving to the end user to the consumer. Healthcare is no different than that. I think we're also starting to see a bit of a pendulum swing back to you know sort sort of the expert and 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 the the rise or the the resumption of the expert. As a, as a critical voice within the purchase path 
I think we're seeing that inside of healthcare. We're seeing that inside of veterinary care. We're seeing that in beauty, hairstylists, and we're seeing it in a variety of dealers. We're starting to see that both the digitization of the channel, if you will, if you want to call that a channel, with a rise of misinformation on the consumer side is leading to new forms of opportunities for collaboration between those experts and those providers with end users. And that's certainly true within healthcare as well, which, which speaks to a lot of great opportunities to help those healthcare providers including our client United Healthcare Group, really modernize and 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 continue forward with those uh, those digital exchanges with their with their patients and with their uh, with their companies. You talked about misinformation or disinformation, and obviously the news. Uh, we're recording this on four twenty six, so April twenty sixth. The news yesterday breaking that Elon Musk's offer to to privatize Twitter has been accepted by the board. So. I don't want to get too caught down down the weeds and moralize things here, but from a business perspective, you know, as someone that runs an agency, what 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 are your thoughts on that? What I think Elon's going to do is clean up the bots and spread of the availability of the platform to all types of people for the sake of free speech. Uh, the economic model he's going to play with, he's talked about subscriptions being available. He's talked about forming the ad model to be something that looks and acts and feels a bit more like some of the other larger, faster growing social platforms. So I, I think all of that is true. How does that actually play into the, the the real marketing mix, the real media mix of large advertisers? That remains to be seen. And and I think, you know, the, the differentiating value proposition has to be true. It, it, it ultimately the eyeballs will follow. So so it, it comes to how well that becomes a platform that that is increasingly compelling and not just a uh, you know, sort of a, a mouthpiece for the uh, for the famous mm-hmm. with a bunch of misinformation all littered throughout it. it. It really comes down to how how authentic can it become, and then for that matter, what the ad model looks like over there. So I, I, it's a watch this space. I don't think I'm ready to say it's going to be the next next generation of anything. But we have to we have to see if you can succeed there. Authenticity and and change of the ad ad model. Got it. That actually leads me beautifully into the the next question I have for you, which is in your perspective or from your perspective and what you're seeing at, at Quartz Avenue, and, and we can use Kiev if, if, if you want as an example, as a shared client, why do you think at this juncture companies are re- renewing their investments or even reprioritizing their investments in digital platforms, whether it be social, ad tech, martech? Any stack, it doesn't really matter. I'd be interested in your thoughts. I love this question, Shane. And, and this is another one that I don't think we saw coming into this even two years ago, but there's a massive set of new reasons to re-outfit digital platforms and, and websites, et cetera, because of how much more important they are to companies than they were even 24 months ago. The rise of commerce, you know, within Kia, we're so thankful that we've got the relationship that we have with them, but, you know, dealer integration is a really important priority for them. The, the rise of uh, ownership experiences, and that's especially true inside of automotive, and the rise of electric vehicles accelerating the ownership experience is, is being particularly important. That's true as well uh, inside of high-tech industries like, like Dell and Epson as much as it is automotive and, and others as well. The integration of, of social content and the integration of increasingly uh, new and relevant and modern branded content is, is growing increasingly important in this day of you know too much information. Brands matter more than ever before, and, and having a purpose, especially for the younger generation, mm. is is really important to, for that to be both relevant and modern and rooted inside of modern culture. So all of those are good reasons to relook at the platform and for it to work harder for the organization. And and I would just say, you know, thank you Amazon, thank you Facebook, thank you Google. Consumer expectations have have risen. Like we, we are all expecting highly personalized experiences with perfect information with our decision-making, with ultimate convenience. 
And a lot of websites don't work that hard. Sort of, I, I don't want to say we can combine all that into uh, in, into a corporate site, but sort of drawing from our, yeah. our specific users and what we can do with them, mm -hmm. building from best practices that we we make choices to go off and, and build is is part of the game. But the, you know, it, it is timely right now to think through what more can a site do for a company, what more can these platforms do for for corporations. So. My, the, this this will be my last question. I think the backdrop of this is very much if we look at any of the D2C brands that really exploded over the course of COVID with, you know, purchase power increasing, such a reliance on, on e-commerce platforms, et cetera. So if we look at the share prices or just generally the, the trading value of companies like Rent the Runway, Allbirds, D2C, right? It, it seems that as the world's starting to normalize again, or embrace the new normal, shall we say, the value of those D2C brands is somewhat diminished as compared to right in the thick of, of COVID, which makes sense. So that's the backdrop of this question. So my question to you is, and I'd love your thoughts on how is omni-channel changing versus direct-to-consumer and, and where do you see direct-to-consumer going? I, I see a lot of parallels between the DTC space and the dot-com boom. I see, you know, sort of the challenge to smaller organizations to get to profitability as, as a first order uh, and as a first priority. The DTC economics are, are, are not always easy. Yeah. So uh, there were many dot-coms that did quite well. In fact, the largest companies in the world are former dot-coms from that time. But there were many that ended up getting consolidated and getting integrated into and ultimately even taking over some more legacy businesses 20 years ago. I, I see that same sort of pathway here. I think the DTC model is one that the world now understands and comprehends. I think uh, the ability to replicate it, is, is including all the tools and platforms that can be used for automation of it, are still relatively understood and, and well known. That's why I talked about the rise of the expert. And, and for that matter, uh, I, I see retail, traditional retailers, Target, Walmart, others, seeing some good success in uh, their digital e-commerce experiences. And so so I guess where I would go with this is if you're going to be a lasting DTC in this environment, mm -hmm. then you really have to have a niche consumer segment that you are uh, uniquely advantaged to serve. And that might be because of a cost position, an experience, a value proposition that you have that makes you defensible. But I, I think in an environment of profitability focus and consolidation. There's a lot of headwinds within the DTC space right now that will lend themselves towards consolidation and, and ultimately influencing a lot of omni-channel plans and experiences within larger organizations. Doesn't mean that there won't be new ones coming on, but you know, sort of the, the pendulum swinging back a bit, right? So in summary, what you're saying is if, if a brand, by virtue of its, of its value proper business proposition, doesn't have a moat such that it's protected, you would fear for that D2C brand. And we've architected some of these, you know, sort of small DTC, mid-size, uh, 100 million to a billion dollar brands to billion dollar category brands. There's different jobs to be done and different playbooks that you can you can do, you know, in Unilever's case, if you're Sir Kensington versus Dollar Shave Club and Seventh Generation versus Dove or, or uh, you know, some of the larger brands. There's different things that you might do as you grow up a brand in, in size that, that looks and starts with a DTC model that moves into something that is increasingly omnichannel that ultimately moves to all channels. Yeah. And, and I would say for those DTC brands that are bucking up against that sort of 50 to $100 million ceiling that they hit before they have to move into omnichannel, good time right now to think through, you know, who, who are your bedfellows? So that you might be able to create your own co cohort, your own you know conglomerate CPG, or your 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 tie up. Because uh, again, I think the economic headwinds are gonna are gonna be upon us here. I think inflation exacerbates this. Mm -hmm. 
because DTCs tend to be less price sensitive. Right. In increasingly price sensitive environments, scale-based manufacturers have an advantage as well. Uh, yeah, it's really, really uh, compelling insight. So, Michael, that's... Uh... We we could talk all day. I really do appreciate it. So thank you so much for coming on. Before before we let you go, um, can you give your agency a shout out and yeah, just let people know how to to contact you guys and some of the great work you're doing. Thank you, uh, Shane. So go ahead and reach out to me, Michael Stick S T I C H at courtavenue.com. As I mentioned, we're creating sort of the next generation holding company. We call it a collective of companies that uh, include a combination of best-in-class uh, digital agency services, brand building, consulting services. Uh, that also includes performance marketing and full uh, technology stack implementations. We're very thankful to have the clients that we do across Kia, Epson, Taylor Guitars, Dell, United Healthcare, the Air Force, a variety of others. And we think we're one of the fastest growing agencies in the U.S. because of a combination of the, uh, uh, the, the services that we provide, which are progressive and integrative, but also because of the depth of the experience of the people that we bring on. So uh, very thankful for the the team and very thankful for the clients. And feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to have a conversation with any of you. Good deal. Really appreciate it. And for any of our listeners, just to, to reemphasize, so Quartz Avenue is a current partner of TransPerfect and we, we partner together on some marquee brands. We know the, the team over there really well, former WPP leadership, and so really comfortable with them. So Michael, thank you ever so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. And let's, uh, let's stay in touch. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Shane. Really enjoyed it. Thank you.